Om Jnana Timarantha Sri Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Guravenama Chaitanya Manobhishtam Sapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamahyam Dadati Swapadantakam Mukam Gurudiva Chalam Pangum Langhayate Girim Yakripata Maham Vande Shri Gurum Dinataranam In chapter 14 In chapter 14 of Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna explains to Arjuna about what we call the three modes of material nature, three modes of material nature. In Sanskrit, the the word is guna, and guna means a few things. Ropes, where they bind us all, well, we'll read read about these. Uh, Krishna begins in in text number five. He says, "Material, material nature consists of three modes goodness, passion, and ignorance. When the eternal living entity comes in contact with nature, almighty armed Arjun, he becomes conditioned by these modes. The easiest thing is to just hear what Krishna says, because we can explain it later, but you get some idea. <clears throat> so we have three modes. Sattva guna, that's the mode of goodness. Rajoguna, the mode of passion and tamoguna, the mode of ignorance. These are the three modes. Now he explains further. O sinless one, the mode of goodness, being purer than the others, is illuminating, and it frees one from all sinful reactions. Those situated in that mode become conditioned by a sense of happiness and knowledge. The mode of passion is born of unlimited desires and longings, O son of Kunti. And because of this, the embodied living entity is bound to material fruit of actions. O son of Bharata, know that the mode of darkness, born of ignorance, is the delusion of all embodied living entities. The results of this mode are madness, indolence, and sleep, which bind the conditioned soul. O son of Bharata, the mode of goodness conditions one to happiness, Passion conditions one to fruit of action, and ignorance covering one's knowledge binds one to madness. Sometimes the mode of goodness becomes prominent, defeating the modes of passion and ignorance, O Sanabharata. Sometimes the mode of passion defeats goodness and ignorance, and at other times ignorance defeats goodness and passion. In this way there is always competition for supremacy. <clears throat> the manifestation of the mode of goodness can be experienced when all the gates of the body are illuminated by knowledge. What are the gates of the body? Anybody practice yoga here? Yes, you know. Nine gates. Basically, we have nine holes in our body. That's, <laughs> those are your nine gates. When you're aware of all of them, when you're in control of all of them, that's considered to be illumination. Awareness. The word for knowledge in Sanskrit is jnana, and jnana actually means simply awareness. So that's goodness, to be aware and in control and uh, refining yourself, that's goodness. O chief of the parties, when there's an increase in the mode of passion, 
the symptoms of great attachment, fruitive activity, intense endeavor, and uncontrollable desire and hankering develop. That's passion. When there is an increase in the mode of ignorance, O son of Guru, darkness, inertia, madness, and illusion are manifested. When one dies in the mode of goodness, he attains to the pure higher planets of the great sages. When one dies in the mode of passion, he takes birth among those engaged in fruitive activities. And when one dies in the mode of ignorance, he takes birth in the animal kingdom. The result of pious action is pure and is said to be in the mode of goodness, but action done in the mode of passion results in misery. And action performed in the mode of ignorance results in foolishness. From the mode of goodness, real knowledge develops. From the mode of passion, greed develops. And from the mode of ignorance, develop foolishness, madness, and illusion. Those situated in the mode of goodness gradually go upward to the higher planets. Those situated in the mode of passion live on the earthly planets. And those in the abominable mode of ignorance go down to the hellish worlds. When one properly sees that in all activities no other performer is at work than these modes of nature, and he knows the Supreme Lord, who is transcendental to all these modes, he attains my spiritual nature. When the embodied being is able to transcend these three modes associated with the material body, he can become free from birth, death, old age, and their distresses, and can enjoy nectar even in this life. So this is Krishna's introduction to this topic. Um, Arjuna is going to ask him some questions about this. Most likely we all have some questions about this as well. Anyone have any questions about this? It's not real easy to understand. At least it's not easy for me to understand. Okay, so the motive of goodness, we feel illumination and we are therefore happy. There's a correlation, they say. When a person is more educated, the person becomes more happy. Sometimes. <laughs> real education. Real education means actual knowledge. Now we have you know, polytechnic education only. We don't really have real knowledge. It's accumulating data. Data processing, that's, that's considered to be knowledge. All right, so motive goodness is illumination, awareness, and pious activity. We become elevated. We become godly, in effect, virtuous. This is goodness. But chiefly awareness is the main thing. Passion means you're distracted, you're, you're, you're overwhelmed by strong desires, you're too busy to think. This is passion. And... Whereas goodness conditions you to happiness, what does passion do? Misery. Who is listening? Misery. Yes, the result of the mode of passion is, is distress. You're trying to be happy, you're working hard, chasing your desires very strongly attached, but instead of getting what you want, you get the opposite of what you want. The nature of passion is that it results in misery. That's an important thing to consider. And in the mode of ignorance, what happens in the mode of ignorance? Madness. Madness, laziness, 
bewilderment, foolishness. This one of one of my favorite poets, T. S. Eliot. Anyone ever read T. S. Eliot? Four Quarters. So he wrote, "From wrong to wrong, the exasperated spirit proceeds." <laughs> that is the mode of ignorance. Until refined by some redeeming fire, which would be the fire of uh, the seven-tongued fire. Insiders know what that is. So <clears throat> that's the mode of ignorance. It, it's you're you're you never get off the ground in the mode of ignorance. You just can't do anything right. You can't understand confusion, madness, laziness. Also, you just you just diss the whole thing. People get frustrated. Prabhupada talks about that elsewhere in the Bhagavad Gita. Anger, wrath is also in the mode of ignorance. Actually, if you think about it, there's, there's, there's only one thing going on here. There's either knowledge or there's passion and, passion and ignorance go together. Because if you can't fulfill your desires in this world, which you can't, it's natural not to be able to fulfill your desires. In case you haven't noticed yet, <laughs> you can't get what you want. <laughs> or, you, or you get what you want and then you lose it and you're, you're also frustrated. So either way, you're frustrated. Or you get what you want, and you, you don't lose it, but you find out that it's not everything that it's said to be. So either way, you have three options, and in all three of the options, the result is frustration. Therefore, anger. Anger is actually nothing but passion that's frustrated. And, and that anger, when it's turned into wrath, is just mindless anger and frustration and emotional overwhelming, overwhelming uh, being emotionally overwhelmed by everything. But that, that is ignorance. So these three modes, they bind us here. Krishna says, there's nothing actually that's really going on in this world except for these three modes of material nature. All activity is impelled by three, these three modes. One may be impelled by sattva-guna to some degree. One may at other times be impelled by rajoguna, that is passion, or one may be impelled, I, I don't want to say impelled, one may not be impelled <laughs> by tamoguna, because tamoguna you do nothing. You just do nothing. So this is, these are the three modes, and neither one of them is going to stay forever. Sir Winston Churchill once said, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> because it's understood that it won't last. Now if you're having a great time, also think. <laughs> All things must pass. Right? So this is the way it is in the material world. So even you may be very sattvic right now, that's fine, but do you know that you're going to take this with you when you leave this body? We don't know this. What determines where we're going? We don't know. Who are we really? Where are we coming from? Where are we going? We only know one thing for sure, that is that in the end we're all going on alone. Nobody can help you and you can't take anything with you. Your money stays in the bank, your car stays in the garage, your family members stay at the home or maybe they come to your funeral. Your body goes as far as the coffin or the funeral pyre, but you're going on alone. So think about this. What is this short window of opportunity that we have that's called human form of life? And what are we going to do with it? What can we do with it, first of all? That is sattva to figure out, you know, what are my options here? What, let me see things in, in proper perspective. 
And then you have to make the difficult decision, do I get out of my, get above my passions and try to do something for the long term? Or do I try to push myself out of the mode of ignorance and try to do anything productive? The human form of life is this way. It's a, it's a short window of opportunity. So we have to be aware, if we are aware, of the nature of this world being uh, characterized by these three modes. And we can take control of our lives by understanding how these modes work and what the results of these modes are. Then we can actually do something. Otherwise, we're just going around and around. It's, it's like we say, progress. There's horizontal progress only. There's, progress means vertical process, progress. Horizontal progress means you're just, <laughs> you know, you're doing a lot of things, but you're not really getting anywhere. You're just getting to a different place. That's, most people are in the mode of passion. Some people are in a mode of ignorance, some people are also in the mode of goodness, but most, most of us are in the mode of passion. So, that passion is horizontal, so-called progress. So, <clears throat> but Krishna says, when we are in goodness, we go up after we die. When we're in passion, we stay here. When we go, when we're in ignorance, we go down, either to hellish places or we become animals. But the point is, nanyam gunepyakartaram yadatrashtam pashyati gunepyashchaparam veti madbhavam sodhikachati. Krishna says, one can understand me when he sees how nothing is really acting in this world except these three modes. Anybody know this verse? Prakrte kriyamanani gunai karmani sarvashaha ahankara vimuhatma kartaham itimanyate. That means the bewildered spirit within this incarcerated within this mind-body complex assumes I'm doing all this stuff I'm I'm in charge and we just said a moment ago you should take charge so that's not wrong but the fact of the matter is that unless we are guided by some higher power most of the time we're going to be pushed around by these modes of material nature this is what it means prakrte kriyamanani kunai karmani sarvashaha we're we're impelled to act by one or another of these three modes of material nature. And yet, out of false ego, we think, I'm, I'm doing everything. That's bewilderment. So Bhagavad Gita is meant to enable us to come above this. And as Krishna says here in text 20, when the embodied being is able to transcend these three modes associated with the material body, and he can become free from birth, death, old age, and their distresses, and can enjoy nectar even in this life. Now at that time, as I said, Arjuna is asking some questions about this. But uh, Krishna says, Arjuna is asking actually, what is the symptom of somebody who's come above these modes? And Krishna gives a fairly long answer. He says, one doesn't hate illumination, attachment, or delusion when they're present. It, what is that? Illumination, attachment, or delusion. What does that sound like? Goodness, passion. Exactly. So one doesn't hate any of these modes when they're present, nor long for them when they disappear. In other words, we're detached. Somebody is unwavering and undisturbed through all these reactions of the material qualities, remaining neutral and transcendental, knowing that the modes alone are active. We're situated in the self and regard happiness and distress to be the same. We look upon all things equally, like this, steady, 
Are we steady when somebody's praising us, or do we get giddy and foolish? Are we, do we get really bent out of shape if somebody really insults us, especially false accusations? How does that feel? What does it do to us? These things will happen, and Krishna mentions them. He treats alike both friend and enemy, and who has renounced all material activity. Such a person is said to have transcended the modes of nature. So, you might have guessed, most of us have some work to do. <laughs> most of us are not there yet. Uh, but we can, we can come to that platform. And how? Krishna answers in the final, almost the final verse here. One who engages in full devotional service, unfailing in all circumstances, at once transcends the modes of material nature and thus comes to the level of Brahman. So this is the means by which one comes to the transcendental position. Very simple process, we call it Bhakti Yoga. And in this age, this Bhakti Yoga is very easily performed in the way that we're doing right now. We've been chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And we're discussing a little bit to clear our intelligence enough that we can make proper decisions in life. And when we purify our bodies also by taking prasadam, sacrificial, remnants of sacrifice, and then we can become purified and come to this level of devotional service in which we transcend the modes of material nature. There's a lot more to say about this. In fact, those of you who know Bhagavad Gita know that it's not just in chapter 14 Krishna discusses the workings of the modes, the ramifications of the modes. Where else does he discuss? Chapter 17, chapter 18, there's more. Lots of detail, lots and lots and lots of detail, just to help us. Because if we're really thinking seriously, not just thinking, but if we actually want to do something about this, then we need to know. We need to, we need to have the details in order to strategize. How am I going to work around these modes? What am I going to do? How am I going to deal with them? That intelligence is necessary and Public Gita provides that. Anybody have any questions so far? Yes? Yes? Um. It seems like it takes a little bit of imagination to consider that there's happiness beyond the mode of passion. Like you said, we're working so hard to get... So how can you have faith that, um, that there's more after? How do we have faith that there's something beyond passion? Well, Because it says also, right, that the mode of goodness start... It tastes like poison at first and yes. ends at the end. So yes. how can you keep <clears throat> going? We've all experienced to some degree this truth. Krishna says, you're right, Krishna says things that are elevating, things that are sattvic, they're not necessarily very pleasing in the beginning, but in the long term they're, they're beneficial. Um, children would, well, there are some parents here. Raise your hand if you have absolutely no intention of sending your kids to school. Yeah, everybody sends their kids to school. Why? We know that we have to plan for the future. My kid without school, we're lucky it's America. You, you can possibly get by. <laughs> I didn't graduate high school. Still I got into college somehow, I don't know how. No, no diploma, no GED, and still I got into college. 
and it wasn't due to corruption. <laughs> anyway, in India, if you don't if you don't do well in school, your life is finished. No hope. So this is called shreyas to, to plan for the future, and, and we we know that there is. We know that there are things that, that are not necessarily so pleasing in the beginning, but ultimately it's good for us. We know this. Somebody who's a little bit familiar with Ayurveda also, you have to take a long time. But if you do it right and have a proper doctor, uh, we hope, then it works. So, Relatively speaking, we see examples of this, but the best way to engender faith is through associating with those whose faith is deeper than ours. Because somebody that we can relate to, but at the same time that person has deeper faith than we have. When we associate with those, they're called sadhus, then that association touches something off by some inconceivable process, uh, particularly through service. When we render service to saintly persons who are more advanced than us, there is some sort of transaction there, some sort of blessing that comes in which we actually gain this faith. That is very, very important thing, most important thing. Also by chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, our faith is generated by taking prasadam, by following this process in general, our faith is compounded. One has only to try it in order to see, but we do have to try it in order to see, because it's experiential. So, <clears throat> those are the best ways, but practically speaking, our faith is best nourished by the results. When we do act in, on good faith and give Krishna the benefit of the doubt, listen to what he says and try to apply his instructions, then we get the result. And then we see, I've, I've come, there's, if, if other things that Krishna is saying are valid, then everything that Krishna is saying could also be valid. This faith has, has to be there. So again, in the beginning we have some faith and we invest that faith in the good association, in that good association we will be engaged and that engagement automatically purifies our hearts, purifies our intelligence, even purifies our bodies and then we become fixed and we at that point when we become free from all the bad attachments and doubts and desires and uh, misconceptions and impious natures and whatever, it, whatever else it is that snags us and prevents us from advancing then uh, when those things are almost uh, destroyed by the very power of the process of bhakti itself, then we can, our faith is strengthened. Is that okay? Long answer. Simple question, but very deep one, yeah. Um, I was a little confused about the, the doer and the, the modes of nature being... Mm -hmm. the, so how, how do... Like, if someone's doing something and blaming the modes, it's kind of like... how. Well, here's how it works, Krishna. Ahankara vimurhatma. He says a person who thinks that he is producing all the results of his activities, he uses some pretty strong terms. You know what the word murha means? <laughs> it means a beast of burden. Animal. Pack animal. So vimurha is an intensifier. Visheshkar murha. <laughs> He's especially a murha. So the person who thinks that he's doing everything, this is foolishness, Krishna says. Actually, as, as we've just heard from this chapter, the modes of material nature are pushing everybody around. Somebody who's a little bit better than the others, maybe, not better, but you know, temporarily more fortunate for the time being, that person can see things a little bit and maybe do something. 
it's a good opportunity to be in the mode of, uh, the mode of goodness. As we said earlier, the person who's in the mode of passion, he just can't even think straight. He's got so many desires and he's too busy trying to fulfill them. And the person who's in the mode of ignorance can't think at all because he's asleep or he's intoxicated or mad. So these influences are pushing us around and they, they, they never stop. They go life after life after life after life and we're going up and we're coming back down again and just going nowhere. It's, as I said, horizontal movement. So we should, we should understand, at least theoretically in the beginning, what Krishna says here, that uh, we are not the doers, these modes of material nature are impelling all of us to act. And then, at least with that intelligence, we can strategize from there. Is that okay? Anything else? Who's free the modes? Raise your hands. Who's <laughs> what? Free from these three modes of material nature. <laughs> anybody would be here possibly were. between the three. Generally, that's what we do. As, as long as we're incarnated in this body. Well, as long as we're identifying with this body. Ah. See, you can be like a coconut. This is Bhagavatam gives this nice example. Coconut, when it dries, it's inside the coconut shell, but you can rattle it around in here. It's not attached. It's separate. We can be like that in this body. So that's called Jivan Mukta. And as Krishna de- described in the final penultimate verse of this chapter, he says, As somebody who is 100% engaged in bhakti yoga, that person will be able to transcend these modes. The rest of us are being pushed and pulled all, all throughout many lifetimes, not just one life. Just on and on and on and on this process. We're going up, we're coming down, we're going nowhere, ultimately. But when we become fortunate enough to come in touch with this process, by divine grace, really, then we can actually begin, we can hope to do something about it. And human life is actually meant for that. Because otherwise, you know, the animals can really, they can't better themselves, we can. This is the thing. Srila Prabhupada used to say that the dogs and cats are running around on four legs. They're looking for eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. And we're running around on four wheels doing the same thing. <laughs> really, it's something to think about. What does it mean to be a human being? Yes. What about being passionate about doing good? Being passionate about, well, that's fine. If we know how to do good, that's fine. Uh, sometimes we don't know how to do good, and sometimes we can't do good even if we know how, because we're not free ourselves. We have to become free. You can't give what you don't have. So, sometimes you, you just can't help someone. If a person is intended to suffer, sometimes it's just fate. That, that is a reality. Time is everything. You have to do things at the right time. If a person is just fated to suffer, then you can, you can knock yourself out trying to help that person and it won't work. I've seen this happen many times. Yeah. Oh, I have too. You I, can't help somebody not willing to be helped, you know. Not willing, or my point is more subtle than that, they're not able to be helped sometimes if a person is too sinful. There's a very shocking story that you probably won't forget, I'll tell you. <clears throat> in our, one of our temples here in the United States, there was a young girl who was from a nice Gujarati family, Indian family, 
So she would come to the temple and she was always helping the pujaris, rendering service. She was very happy dancing in the Sunday feast. Every week she was there with the family. Uh, when she became a little older, somehow, you know, as, as always happens when we get older, she fell in love. But the boy was Muslim and that doesn't go over very big with conservative Gujarati parents. So they said, no, no, you, you, you two can't see each other. But they were hopeless and so they ran off together. After some time, it became revealed that the boy was not really a strict Muslim. He was drinking, and he got and there were drugs involved also, and she became addicted to drugs also. Then eventually, the boy left her, and she went. You know, her parents had already as much as disowned her. Where is she going to go? She went from one friend to another, and she burnt them all out one after another because you can't trust a junkie; they will rip you off. That's what she did. Finally, some devotees took her in for some time, but she was abusing them as well. And what to do? When, when you're young and female and unprotected and addicted to drugs, you can imagine what she did. She ended up on the street. This is a true story. The last time I saw her, she was standing in the corner of the prasadam room in one of our other temples, and she was talking to the wall. She had Sai Baba hair, oily jeans, and a tank top, and she was completely nuts. Maybe she ended up in a women's shelter, I hope something. But, you know, I've seen people change like this, and so many people try to help, but it's just fated to be. That's what's, that's called Rahu, <laughs> Ketu. Uh, you know, when you get into these bad planets, sometimes you just can't help somebody. But anyway, the, even if you can help someone, what is the help worth? The only real help is to elevate a person out of these three modes of material nature. Therefore, we are, in our society, we're dedicated to awakening Krishna consciousness. Because without that, we're just splashing around in the mud puddle of material existence. Horizontal movement, not really going anywhere. Real help means to, to elevate somebody out of this process wherein you have to fall again, from sattva to rajas or tamas. Otherwise, the motive, the intention is great. But we have to know how to do it, we have to be able to do it. Is the idea that trying to address what the, the root cause of the, the problem is, yes. rather than trying to... It's like Ayurveda. Ayurveda is not going to treat the symptoms so much. Ayurveda is going to treat the actual imbalance that's causing the disease. It's not even, it's not even disease and cure. That, that's also an allopathic paradigm. You're talking, you're talking about the imbalance that leads to disease. That is the root cause. So, it's like that. Our root cause is, is of suffering and is ignorance. Misidentification with a, with a temporary body that we aren't. We actually have no need to identify with this material body. I, I don't mean we don't utilize the body or we don't be irresponsible with it also, but the fact of the matter is that we don't really have any eternal connection with this body. Because the body is not eternal, but we are. But that eternal consciousness we have to focus on while we can, while we're human beings. And that's, that's what human life is actually meant for. Something else? Yes, in the back. So if we are, if we are being buffeted by these three modes, how do we know that we are truly being enlightened? This is discussed in the Srimad Bhagavatam. I mean, first of all, as we mentioned, Krishna says, your, your every gate is illumined with awareness. So that awareness is a symptom of sattva, and sattva is 
usually concomitant with Krishna consciousness. But aside from that, Bhagavatam says, when you eat, your body is simultaneously nourished and strengthened, and your tongue feels satisfaction. And in the same way, as we become Krishna conscious, we simultaneously feel detachment and uh, knowledge awakens and the happiness of Krishna consciousness. So just as nobody has to tell you when you're eating whether you're having enough or not, or whether you're happy with it or not, you, you know it's directly experienced. This is something Krishna says in chapter 9 of Bhagavad Gita. Pratyakshavagamam. It is directly perceived. That process is not subject to the modes of material nature because it's spiritual. It's beyond them. Is it clear? Sort of. Eat. <laughs> Just keep eating. <laughs> Everything will become clear. Guaranteed. Now this is a this is a very important point. I've seen this restaurant for thirty something years. Nineteen eighty they opened eighty one I think they opened it. And you know, I used to see that people are coming in. They have an option when you come through the front door. If you turn right, you go into the temple. If you turn left, you go into the restaurant. So I used to see every time the same people, regular customers, I recognize them, that they're regulars. They come, they turn left, they sit down, eat, pay, leave. That's what they do. So I'm thinking, you know, they're getting prasada, maybe there's some benefit in some point in a future life. But I never saw anybody turn right. They, they come, they sit, they eat, they, they pay, they leave. They don't ask questions, they don't buy books, they don't even check out the gift shop. They eat, they pay, they leave. So, you know, for years this is going, decades it's going on. And, you know, finally in, in around 2009, I think it was, I saw one of those customers, he's like sitting in the temple, you know, absorbing the vibes the way they do. Okay, so maybe something's happening. Then a few years later I came back, and I was astonished because when I went into the temple room, one of those customers was now initiated and doing the oddity on the altar. <laughs> and another one of those customers was working in the treasury. And I saw a couple others going out on Harinam that evening. All of a sudden, they all just boom, 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 boom. Critical mass of Jnata Sukriti. This happens. My mother was not certainly not a Hindu, certainly not a devotee of any sort, not even particularly religious, although she began, she did believe in God. And uh, when she was elderly, I had to go and take care of her, because nobody else would do it. And I was giving her prasadam every day. She told me about a year before she left this world that, you know, I just realized that I'm more attached to what you're cooking for me now than anything I ever used to eat. Do you know what that means? That means that her subtle body had been purified. She was going to take birth in some place where she could get prasadam because that's what she wanted and she had enough punya to do it. One minute. Then, you know, after some time she eventually left this world, but when she left this world she was wearing Tulsi neck beads. She had Vaishnava Tilak. She was surrounded by Kirtan for the last, you know, 40 hours straight, continuous Kirtan we had. And she was in the proximity of the Shalagram Shila, and she was very peaceful. And the last thing she ate was Sandesh offered to Rukmini Dvargadish and Mongolarti, and there was Tulsi on her tongue. 
and she was sprinkled with the dust of Vrindavan and Chananamritam and Pankajangri said some prayers for her in Mayapur. So I'm sure she did not go down. She went up. I don't know where she went, but she did not go down. And she was very peaceful and smiling. That I don't think that could have ever happened had I not taken, you know, shed the gallons of blood, as it were, to, to take care of her every day like that and give her prasadam. So do not, do not ever underestimate the potency of prasadam. We say, Maha prasada govinde nama brahmani vaishnave salapapunyavatam rajan only a person who is uh, paltry in his own punya has any doubts about this. I was one of them at one time. So, uh, yeah, keep eating. And that's literally, and then figuratively, follow this process of Krishna consciousness. You taste it yourself, see how it feels. Is your hunger being satisfied? Is your weakness being uh, dispelled? You, you see for yourself. The, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, as George Harrison said. <laughs> Is that okay? Or you associate closely with others who are doing this and you see that that association, as we said, is also going to help. You have a question? I apologize for interrupting, but no you were telling my story. I've been going to the, temp- to the restaurant since about 85. Okay. And then one day I just made a right instead of a left. He's the one I was telling you about. Okay. Every week. So like, okay. This day we thought it was a different person. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. No, Prasadam, do not ever underestimate. You, you, if you don't believe me, go to Gainesville and just ask some of the, some of the devotees there. Infinite experience. They've been distributing Gainesville on the campus there for 40, 50 years now. So many, many people benefited. It is so powerful. In 1977, Srila Prabhupada was touring our Manhattan temple. There was a, temp, there was a restaurant in the basement of that temple. And Tamal Krishna Goswami was showing him around, and Prabhupada was very impressed with the restaurant. He was so happy. He, he told Tamal Krishna Maharaj, that from now on, don't even open any more temples. Yes, he said this. Just open restaurants and reading rooms. He wanted reading rooms. Just a place people can come and chill. They can, our books are there. After their prasadam, they're happy. They can just, you know, Prabhupada wanted this. Because these are our three weapons. Prasadam. Transcendental books, Harinam Sankirtana. And Prasadam is one of them. It's very, very powerful. Okay? All right. So that's one of the topics that Krishna mentions later in chapters 17 and 18. Eating. Eating in these three modes. You can eat in the mode of goodness, you can eat in the mode of passion, you can eat in the mode of ignorance. These things are all discussed, as I said. All the details are there. All, all, everything we need to know in order to deal with this knowledge. It's there. Alright, anything else? If not, then maybe, I don't know what time it is or what time he wants to stop. We're good. Okay, (laughs) Prasadam. Now that you're all fired up about Prasadam, Jai Ho. Thank you very much. All glory to Shri Prabhupada.